On the Way Home is proudly supported by Ellis Dong Community Builders, a group formed within the Ellis Dong group of companies to assist those who wish to deliver affordable and sustainable housing by providing development management services and leveraging Ellis Dong's turnkey cradle-to-grave project capabilities. We incorporate all that a world-leading development, construction, and building services company has to offer to provide innovative and sustainable developments that connect and energize communities. Our offering is not simply a development and construction solution. It's a holistic and comprehensive approach that ensures the delivery of assets that communities can be proud of. To learn more, please visit www.communitybuilders.ellisdon.com. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squahomish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. Welcome to another episode of On The Way Home. I am one of your hosts, Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door. And as always, I am joined by the very talented Stefania. Steph, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I can't believe how fast the summer is blowing by already. And I say that every summer. Um, You know, I guess we were just talking before the show with uh, one of our guests, from Newfoundland was saying that summer basically, or the heat for the summer just started there today uh, with their first hot day. So I should be grateful for the weather we do get for um, the months that we do. Um, And as we've talked about in the past uh, on this show, that I think people often, when we speak of homelessness, they often think uh, it is deadliest in the winter, but not so much that the heat can be just as dangerous for them. So um yeah so so that's always in the back of my mind when i complain about any weather that for people experiencing street homelessness this is tough tough stuff yeah i agree i think we always think of winter um and i know out on the west coast winter is very wet and it of course poses different dangers when it when the weather hits that temperature and everyone's wet and really really cold but i think uh, we don't appreciate the heat wave that hit and how many folks were affected living on the street and it really bakes that pavement. And as well, it, it, it raised some inequities. There, were some, there was some really great coverage about how in the downtown east side, in particular in Vancouver, because of lack of parks, lack of um, trees, just unlike you know more um, wealthier neighborhoods that have those sort of things, it's actually where it gets the hottest. So yeah, it's a really good thing to keep in mind. Um, and I have no good segue to ask you other than that. Um, but I, I, we, have, we have quite a few folks on the call with us today. Um, and I, I just like super excited to get to know about the initiative we're going to talk about. Um, so yeah, can you, can you help us out, introduce who our guests are today? Absolutely. And you know, this show is all about uh, health, preventing homelessness, uh, new ideas, and overcoming challenges. And this group has done exactly that. And we just what we were talking about right now, when you talk about the elements, getting people off the street, one of the best things you can do is prevent people from ever having the experience that, or if they do, make it very, very uh, short, that experience. So we are joined today um, by a panel of people to talk about TradeWorks. 
which is the first funding of its kind from the Home Depot Canada Foundation, bringing together not eight, not nine, but 10 social enterprises from across the country that provides careers and housing stability to over 228 individuals by the end of 2021. And so who are our panelists, you might ask? You might ask, no? Who are our I, panelists? I, I did <laughs> ask, who are our panelists? <laughs> uh, our panelists today, we have um, the awesome Emily Rowe from the community, who is a community investment specialist with the Home Depot Canada Foundation. I've known Emily for a long time. And uh, listen, she is far more than her job. She's super passionate about this work. And her work focuses on building strong relationships with community partners and supporting them through grant programs and advocacy work. And she does much, much more than that. She gets truly involved as well. I'm really excited that uh, my friend Sheldon Pollitt, who's the executive director of Choices for Youth, and we were just talking about this. He's been in this post for 20 years as executive director and another five as a board member. So 25 years of that organization. It is an incredible organization doing some of the most impactful work on preventing any new homelessness across the country, if not, dare I say, around the globe. Uh, and during his uh, time with the organization, it has become a huge national leader and partner in identifying best practices in the design and delivery of services to youth, including social enterprises. So hint, hint, this is why he's involved. And last but not least, my colleague, uh, Emmy Kelly from the team at Blue Door. Emmy is our COO. Um, and she, uh, I, I, I wrote this and uh, she's our CEO and she really operates. She does the, the bulk of the work at Blue Door. Who am I kidding? Um, and she's making sure that everyone has a safe, affordable, supportive place to call home. She's worked with the Home Depot Canada Foundation now to extend its national reach through TradeWorks, um, through their foundation. So Emmy, Sheldon, Emily, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Excited to be here. Yeah, we're really, really pumped to have you guys uh, on and talk about this initiative. Um, and apparently it's a new one, of course, um, with the Home Depot Canada Foundation. And I'm just curious, you know, what inspired the development of TradeWorks and why focus on ECEs and construction? Um, so thanks for asking. Um, it started in uh, around an ugly little table in Michael's office. Um, where a lot of great ideas are born. Um, and we were actually doing research for our own social enterprise, um, which we were able to launch Construct. And we had been talking to a lot of the great minds um, who had already gone on before us to launch social, enter social enterprises across Canada, including Sheldon and his team, um, as well as Mark at Building Up and others. Um, he wasn't able to join us today. Um, but what we started discovering was that there's a whole army of solutionaries across Canada um, and we wanted to bring, like have more collaboration, uh, you know, sharing of ideas, um, sharing of resources and a platform by which we could collaborate to um, move the needle towards ending poverty and homelessness across Canada. It was really a very different approach than we've taken um, typically in the charity space towards um, homelessness and homeless, homelessness prevention. 
And so um, thinking about the research and the work that we were doing to launch our own so social enterprise sort of triggered the thought that wouldn't it be great to um, have a collaboration of social enterprises across Canada. Um, and that's when we started talking with the Home Depot Canada Foundation, um, who were generous enough to entertain uh, our ideas there. And, and we've been able to develop this together and the Home Depot has thrown their full weight behind this initiative. Um, it's such a great feeling to say that we're powered by the Home Depot Canada Foundation because they really have done just that. Um, they've sent out tools to our social enterprises across Canada, engage their vendors to support and have been amazing at having these discussions. And, you know, sometimes what can be the challenge in working through these partnerships is that there's a very prescribed thought around funding, how it has to be used or what the foundation or agency will, you know, require of the charities. In this case, Home Depot has really worked with us to come up with a program that's going to be flexible and responsive across Canada to the needs of the, the specific organization or the province, um, you know, as is applicable in each case. So that's a little bit about um, how we came up with the idea and where it's going. Well, I mean, as you know, it's going to take innovation and creativity to end homelessness across Canada. What's what's unique about this initiative and, and how does TradeWorks address youth homelessness? Yeah, so I think that the the really amazing piece about this, and like I said, it's not a new idea to us. Um, you know, there's been social enterprises doing this work, but what's really cool about this is that um, we're recognizing a huge void in the construction industry. Um, so when we look at the fact that Canada is spending 180 billion in infrastructure over the next few years, um, and we see a huge shortfall in tradespeople over the next 10 years, um, you know, at the rate of at least 68,000, um, we see that there's a huge market demand for people. And that yet when we look in some of our programs, um, we're struggling to find employment opportunities for participants of our programs. And so this is how the idea is born. Um, to bridge that gap and to recognize the void in the trades as an opportunity to um, do some important work about prevention and ending homelessness there. And I think another piece of, let me go back to your question. Yeah, I'm still on track. Um, we're really focusing on prevention and the fact that um, you know, over the years, and I can't speak for everyone, but in a lot of charities, we're very focused on, you know, when it comes to employment, providing employment opportunities where often um, participants of our programs would end up in minimum wage jobs. And what we're seeing is that just in order to afford a one bedroom apartment, you need to be making at least $24 an hour. So a $15 wage falls way short of that. And so in some ways, um, while trying to be helpful, we're worsening the problem because people are pushed into an ongoing cycle of poverty. And so what this 
program addresses in the construction trades is that we're able to provide soft skills training for our participants and then they're able to transition into long-term career opportunities in unions who start off by paying 21 to 22 dollars an hour and participants are very um, easily able to climb to make more within just a few months and benefit of breaking that cycle of poverty and move on to homeless housing stability rather. Um, so it's not just a prevention strategy, but it's also a way to exit homelessness quickly. I think that's really great. And I, I love um, how you folks have, you know, identified such a huge need that's coming around the corner, as well as, you know, using it as an opportunity to address some of the gaps in your own programming um, and thinking about housing affordability and just like really meaningful change. So I'd really love to hear, you know, what the long-term strategy of TradeWorks is like and, and, and what's next. Yeah, it's an exciting conversation to be having. And I think it speaks volumes to that kind of initial work that Emmy had spoken to that they did around the table in Michael's office and just the confidence that the Home Depot Canada Foundation, as well as our supplier and vendor network feel in a program like this, that we're, we're just launching this program, we're already talking about how can we grow it. So TradeWorks in its inception year is a, a $1 million investment by the Home Depot Canada Foundation to really support organizations that are currently running skilled trades programs. So we've already seen a lot of this amazing work that our partners are doing, and we really understand how combining the employment programs with social supports can go such a long way in setting someone up to successfully attain meaningful work uh, that they can assist in maintaining housing, which is why we're already looking at how we can continue to grow this program. Uh, so our intention is that, uh, you know, kind of run it the first year the way it is with the $1 million investment. Um, but then moving forward, there's a really big piece that we're looking at to help support around capacity building to really assist organizations that are interested in doing this kind of work. Uh, we have a group of really amazing partners uh, in the TradeWorks group right now that have already made such an impact. And our plan is to really continue to foster collaboration between those existing partners, uh, as well as encourage some resource and knowledge sharing with new partners um, that may not be currently running these programs so that we're able to help support and work with youth across the country that are having um, barrier, they're facing those barriers to employment or they're on their journey out of homelessness. So we recognize that we have this opportunity to support through these additional avenues that include things like mentorship, uh, employment opportunities, scholarships and bursaries, and we're really just looking forward to continuing to explore all the different ways uh, that we can continue to provide these opportunities to our TradeWorks partners and our future TradeWorks partners. Absolutely, this program is going to have huge impact. Now, generally, when people think about homelessness that think housing. So, so what is social enterprise's role in addressing homelessness and uh, youth facing barriers to employment, Emily? Yeah, we really think that social enterprises play a key role in breaking down barriers to employment. Uh, as we know, a lot of these barriers that youth are facing result from previous trauma or family conflict, uh, a lack of support and understanding for their identity and who they are. Uh, or time that has been spent in the child welfare system. Uh, these intersections that youth may have are typically not supported by the traditional systems that are at play in education and employment models, and therefore creates this kind of inequity for them in the space. 
but then you start to see the emergence of employment social enterprise models that really have developed in stark contrast to those systems that haven't historically been conducive to help meet youth where they're at. Uh, I think, you know, through the conversations that we've had with all of our amazing current TradeWorks partners, they have such a proven track record of benefiting uh, the individuals that they're serving that are, are facing these systemic barriers. And one of the key differences is that employment social enterprises um, offer, uh, as opposed to the traditional trades program, is that consistent social support uh, throughout the time that they're receiving the education, the training, or the certifications that they need. And um, this really just improves the overall wellness of the participants in the program and really helps to address those barriers. And so, um, you know, that was one of the big things that got us excited about coming on and partnering with all of these organizations is that they're really meeting youth where they're at in their journey and providing those wraparound supports while setting them up for success to gain meaningful employment. Yeah, just awesome. And, you know, what I like about TradeWorks is you've got some fairly new organizations, Blue Door being one of them, and you've got organizations like Choices for Youth who have been at this work uh, a very long time. Uh, Sheldon, can you talk a little bit about uh, how does social enterprise help maximize effective use of the resources to address youth homelessness and vulnerability? Unmute myself first. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story I think is the best way to illustrate. So as you know, you've known us a long time. In 2004, we opened up a building uh, for the first time in downtown St. John's called the Youth Services Center. It's really become the epicenter of Choices for Youth, a reach shelter, those sorts of things. Where we meet the, is a doorstep of Choices for Youth. It's like the entrance requirement is being able to ring a doorbell, that's it. Um, but that building was roughly a $2 million, you know, uh, procurement contract with a private builder. Money well spent, the benefits to our community, the minute we got the key started to accrue. Uh, fantastic, money well spent. Uh, about two years later, we embarked on our replication of U.S. Phoenix out of Toronto, but this time the benefits to our community started to accrue roughly two years before we got the keys because the benefits started when young people walked in on day one and started ripping it apart because they were being trained and employed as part of a construction company to build 14 units of affordable housing for other young people. And understanding that mindset in, you know, resources are often hard to come by in our world. We've got young people who need affordable housing uh, and supports, but all those same young people, what do they need? I always compare it. Uh, my life is no different than that vulnerable young person. What allows me to be here today? decent, safe, affordable housing, access to a decent level of education, and access to a decent level of employment, and a social and emotional support network that makes all that work together. Our young people are no different. I'm a stone throw away from being in the same boat. Um, they're just in a very different starting place. So it's really understanding in terms of we're going to spend money on one aspect of youth homelessness. Why wouldn't I spend that same money to look at other ways of meeting the broad range of needs young people need? Terms of one thing to help a young person find a decent place to live, well, how are they going to afford it? They're going to be able to afford it the same way all of us afford it. So once you begin putting those two pieces together, and I learned a lot of this from our good friend at Eva's initiatives, I said, oh, bells started going off. We have, you know, we spent $50,000 a year on snow clearing. It snows a lot in St. John's, had to be clear. 
Well, I can tell you three years uh, ago, we started branching out. We now do snow clearing for five other nonprofits plus our own. Plus we do a program that uh, for low income seniors digs them out of the snow when they get snowed in and need to get to a doctor's appointment. So now it's a fully operational social enterprise, maximizing the opportunities to train and employ young people. I can't turn everything we do at Choices for Youth and we do a lot into a social enterprise, but value for money to generate training and employment for young people, that's gonna be part of their long-term strategy to afford a safe, decent place to live and have the kind of life they deserve and want. That is, I think, the role that social enterprise can play in solving youth homelessness. We have to get to the point of meeting the broad scope of needs that young people have. Uh, it isn't just about, oh, I'm homeless, therefore solve that and I'm good to go. They need the full suite of things, just like the rest of us. Absolutely. And Sheldon, I have a follow-up for you. So how do purpose-built enterprises better reflect the needs of vulnerable youth and young families? Well, I think in, in lots of ways, those businesses are purpose-built. Right? They're designed to do primarily one thing. Uh, one of the things that I, we do a lot of asbestos abatement, it's something we've specialized in. Uh, it's great work for young people, uh, certainly as an entry point into the field. Uh, asbestos abatement, I can guarantee you, has nothing to do with the mandate of choices for youth. But if you understand our true purpose, to generate, we're in the business of manufacturing employment hours. That's our real business, not asbestos abatement. We're in the business of manufacturing employment training hours for vulnerable young people and young families so that they can go on to have the things that they deserve and want and need. Um, so when you look at it from that perspective, I ran, you talked about being here for 20 years. Prior to this gig, Michael, I ran employment programs, skills link programs. Uh, I think they're largely acknowledged to not be effective programs for vulnerable populations because they can't meet the needs. At the time I was running those programs, we did all the assessments for youth in the city to get into all the skills link programs around the city. We were turning away over 50% of the young people applying, not because they didn't need it, but because their needs were too great. Their housing was too unstable, their mental health was compromised, they had addictions issues. It's like, uh, we don't have the model to deal with all of that stuff. I go to work on a Monday at Choices for Youth and all these young people walk in the door and it's like, oh, now I know where all of those 50 young percent young people came from. They're these young people over here struggling with all of the issues, homelessness, affordability, um, you know, mental health addictions, all of that stuff is happening. It's like. I can't turn around and apply for a skills link program that I already know won't meet their needs. So now I have to figure out how can I solve that piece of the equation? So social enterprise for us, driven by uh, a desire to maximize the use of resources becomes a very, not just viable, an amazing part of the scenario where I can build enterprises that have one main job, generate meaningful training and employment opportunities for young people. So I'll conclude the storytelling, which is what I do, by saying we completed construction of five new units of affordable housing recently for pregnant parenting young moms. I'm glad they, they are now uh, fully occupied. Unfortunately, there's now a waiting list. Uh, that project was fully built from the ground up by our uh, social enterprise construction company. So it generated over 8,000 hours of training and employment for uh, vulnerable youth during the life of the build, 
maximizing all of those opportunities. Um, it is now housing five vulnerable families. Um, so I'll conclude with the story of the young woman who worked on the project, who went on to do, uh, I guess, a, a course in electrical, graduated top of her class, and is now doing her first block, I guess, of work experience as part of her, uh, you know, her her schooling. So that is a bunch of different stories. Hopefully, that connects the dots of why social enterprise, purpose-built enterprises that have that one purpose, and then you build into it the social support system that allows young people to get up and go to work every single day. So that our job is this, is that if a young person is homeless the night before, get them housed so they'll show up to work. If a young person's struggling with their addictions, get them support this should be. Anything and everything is our job to solve for with the objective of helping a young person show up to work the next day. So hopefully uh, that gives a good snapshot of how amazing social enterprise is, is in terms of, it's, it's not the tool, but it's one of a bunch of really important tools in uh, our effort to uh, end youth homelessness. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Absolutely. I am a huge fan of social enterprises. Uh, in fact, before I joined the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness, I worked for Megaphone Magazine, which is a social enterprise based in the downtown east side. And the idea behind that, again, um, is, is, is another opportunity for folks who are either uh, living off of disability or income assistance, um, knowing how short those fall of being able to afford life. Um, what Megaphone does is we created products like a magazine, a monthly magazine, an annual literary edition, um, the Hope and Shadows calendar, and then our vendors would buy those at a very low rate from us, turn around and sell them um, and keep the profit. And it was just a, a, a way for folks to hopefully like boost their income so that they can afford life's necessities. So, so preaching to the choir as far as how amazing they are. And and I have a question I'll either throw to Emily or Emmy. Um, you know, if you can talk to us a little bit more about how the social enterprise model really helps create sustainable careers to break that cycle of poverty for folks who are marginalized. Yeah, so I think um, Sheldon touched on a lot of the important pieces there um, when he answered the last two questions. Um, and I think just to expand a little bit more on some of what he shared is that it is really about recognizing that individual and what they need to get to the next stage. And looking at some of the stories of the kids in our uh, social enterprise program, you really, you know, we take for granted um, just showing up to work every day, right? When um, some of the participants accessing our programs have never, you know, had maybe expectations from 
someone and and have that labor market detachment where they don't necessarily know how to even deal with the idea of getting up in the morning and going to work every morning at the same time and there's just um, you know, for one, it might be a barrier of transport. For another, it might be a barrier of, you know, other family challenges um, that are at play. So for us, what we found is to really support each one, like Shelby said, in the way that they need it. And going into this, because we just launched um, last year, we had put certain supports in place and found funding for it. And as we've moved along, we've identified more and more areas and continue to grow um, those supports. Um, I think in terms of breaking the cycle of poverty, it's again, you know, recognizing to what each person needs and that happens from the conversations that we have with them. Um, what I spoke to about before in terms of ensuring that we're putting participants into careers instead of jobs, that's what's going to help break that cycle of poverty, right? It's it's no longer a minimum wage job that, you know, may or may not work out over the short term. It's about really providing the support they need to hold a long-term career that can help to begin to break that cycle of poverty um, and move them into housing stability. Um, it's also reframing value. Um, I think not just for our charities, but because this requires so much cross-sector collaboration, that we take on that role of reframing value to the public and to companies um, looking at who we're employing um, and providing that community benefit and helping to provide that messaging to others in the community and to the for-profit space about why this is important and how they can be a part of the social value, right? Um, it's looking at return on investment, not only from financial lens, but a social lens and looking for that blended value. And I think once, you know, people understand that in the corporate sector too, they're very um, inspired and motivated to be a part of this because what we know is that urbanization continues. And as it does, as leaders in the space, we have to be constantly innovating around the solutions that are actually gonna be sustainable to solve our nation's social problems. Well said, Emmy. You know, I think we have to get away from this whole theory of uh, good enough. I think sometimes we see that with housing, when you know, shelter, we've got a roof and a bed, good enough, a job. Hey, any job will do. It's good enough. We Good enough is not good enough. And that's what I love about all the work you're all doing in TradeWorks is we're looking at, hey, when you put people into jobs where they're not making enough to lift themselves out of poverty, and they're not feeling great when they walk away from them. You know, this is cool stuff as Sheldon was describing and you do, they can walk away and say, hey, I built that, I was part of that, I did that, I have a skill and that's a good feeling. And hey, guess what? I'm getting paid fairly well for this and I could take this career anywhere in the country. So amazing stuff. And, and the fact that the Home Depot is behind this. Now, the Home Depot has been uh, supporting work around ending homelessness, preventing homelessness for years, but this is different. Uh, Emily, this is different for them and for the foundation. Uh, so, so why, you know, it's a big investment too. Why was it prioritized, and and why do members of the foundation feel so strongly about it? 
Yeah, I mean, if you're not sold by just hearing from Emmy and Sheldon, <laughs> I don't know what else I can add, but you know, it, it's those conversations that we get to have with our partners, right? It's hearing these stories and hearing the impact that programs like this actually have. And so, um, you know, if I jump off of Sheldon's storytelling technique, I, I can, you know, the story of the Home Depot Canada Foundation, um, you know, we got established as an organization that was really focused on affordable housing and poverty reduction. And then in 2014, we decided that we really needed to focus in our scope of work. Um, and so we kind of looked at the landscape at that point, you know, the US Foundation began their focus on military veteran homelessness. And we looked at the Canadian landscape and knew that youth homelessness um, was an issue that young Canadians were facing. Uh, and that it was something that if, if we could step in early enough and help organizations provide these supports to youth uh, to either prevent them from becoming homeless or prevent chronic homelessness, we could really prevent them from, you know, experiencing adult homelessness or senior seniors homelessness. So in 2014, we made the decision to really guide our work towards uh, preventing and ending youth homelessness across Canada. Uh, through that time, we've really been focused kind of on four areas, which are renovations and housing, um, education and employment, prevention, and research, of course. Uh, but I remember, you know, a conversation around a board table where one of our board members had said, you know, what else can we be doing? Like, what are we really going to focus on where we can see the dial moving? We can see the impact being made because I know we're doing really great work, but there's got to be something more that we can be doing. And I kid you not, it was probably like a couple of weeks after that, that I think I had heard from the team at Blue Door about this amazing idea to, uh, to help support a collaboration of organizations that were running these social enterprises. Uh, and so what we found through these conversations is really just how impactful um, the way they're running the social enterprises are by providing those wraparound supports while youth are going through the programs. So I think, you know, if you really look at our kind of landscape, you have a home improvement retailer, and we have an amazing network of both suppliers and vendors who are really committed to our mission of preventing and ending youth homelessness. And then you have our charity partners that are always coming up with these really innovative ways uh, to find those long-term solutions to ending homelessness. And again, you know, I think it, it's more than just a skilled trades program because many of our partners are ensuring that youth have access to social supports. So, you know, mental health supports, addiction supports, as well as the housing opportunities that are, are needed, right? It's not just about ensuring that somebody has a job, but it's ensuring that they have a safe place to go and rest up before they wake up the next morning for another day's work. Uh, so it was really clear to see the links between this program and homelessness prevention, because if you can help find if you can help youth find these meaningful opportunities in employment, coupled, of course, with these wraparound supports that our partners are providing them, you can build their capacity towards finding a home of their own and, and actually being able to maintain that. So um, it's been really exciting being able to develop this in tandem with all of our partners. And I can't wait to see how the program continues to grow and just the more support that we can provide and, and hear from the community about what's next and how can we continue to be better partners in TradeWorks. Yeah, it really does check every box. And one of the boxes, we when you say uh, what we were talking about is not a donation, this is an investment, an investment with a return. And I think Sheldon and, and, and Emmy have touched on that too, is that all these things, you're, you're uh, preventing homelessness, 
you're filling a need in the trades, meaningful employment, well-paying employment. But here's the other thing. It actually generates revenues like a social enterprise should, a successful social enterprise. And I say that because quite often social enterprises were strong on uh, the social return, but the actual financial return sometimes is a challenge, right? But this can actually generate dollars. And guess what? We can then hire people to uh, prevent and end homelessness in other uh, areas to support that work. We can build housing. We can do all sorts of other things with that and not on the backs of government. Government still has a responsibility. They can't shirk that, but this certainly can contribute. So it's amazing. And I know having the Home Depot behind this, driving it nationally, it's only gonna get bigger. And so, uh, Emmy, can you talk a little bit about where would an organization say I'm in an area where uh, the, I wanna run or start one of these social enterprises, I wanna be, or I have one, I wanna be a part of this opportunity. Where do I start? Where can people go to find out more information about TradeWorks? Um, so if you don't have a social enterprise yet and you want to start one, there's a lot of great organizations, as I mentioned, that have gone on ahead and started them that, that are willing to provide coaching and mentorship and I think the beautiful thing about this journey is just even seeing the collaborative of 10 um, shows that there's a real um, desire for collaboration and not competition in the space. Um, we can't solve all the social problems um, on our own. We need each other. And that's the beauty about TradeWorks. And I think um, if you don't have one, reach out to um, us at Blue Door or Sheldon, of course, at Choices for Youth. Um, you can reach me at me.k at bluedoor.ca. If you do have one and you'd like to be part of TradeWorks, if you've already established a construction um, trade, trades-based social enterprise, um, you can visit the orangedoorproject.ca um, as well as Blue Door's website. We have a page for TradeWorks there and you can reach us by email as well. Well, that's excellent. And I really hope folks follow up with you guys. Um, and yeah, I just, again, wanted to say thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed the conversation as usual. Well, Michael, that was really, really informative. I know this is one um, I could see your passion um, as 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 the conversation went on. Given how um, involved Blue Door is with this, I think it's really great. Yeah, you know what, I, and I think uh, your uh, your colleague Tim Richter said it best right? when he was talking to us once. He said, "I haven't had an original idea since the 1990s." <laughs> He said, because yeah. I don't have to. Innovation doesn't mean something brand new. It means building on something that came before us. There's so much, many innovative practices out there, right? And the, one of the cool things about this program and TradeWorks is when we started, uh, it, we started at Blue Door, it was a call down to Mark Soberano at Building Up in Toronto to say, hey, Mark, uh, you know, would you guys ever come north of Steels, the division between Toronto and York region? He's like, yeah, not really interested. I said, will you help me do that then? Of course. And then he helped and Sheldon helped and, and you know, uh, Kieran from Manitoba. And, and it is such a community that will say, what do you need? It's, people are not 
uh, saying, you know, I'm remaining in my silo. This is mine. It really did. They, they believe in the greater good of building these across the country. And it is so cool. And we benefit. That's why we were able to get ours up and running in record time because everyone was so giving. And it's so cool. And it can be duplicated. Um, and there's so many multiple wins in this. And so I, I just think, you know, when we've been doing that, and as Sheldon said, he worked in employment before. I did many years before. And it was such a frustrating experience at time, Steph, that we we get these kids these jobs and, and it, it just wasn't good enough, right? Like it, it just wouldn't last, right? They didn't have meaning or they weren't making enough money. And so they, they wouldn't, uh, so they fail. And that's the last thing we need to do to you is put them in another experience where they're set up to fail, right? This is setting them up for success. It's preventing homelessness. And for uh, a national organization like Home Depot to get behind it, it it's really going to push it to the next level. I agree. And I think the more social enterprises we have, the better, the more opportunities for that meaningful work where folks have dignity and pride in what they do. They're challenged. Um, they're not just like a body to fill, you know, a, a hole in the job. Like, I think it's, I think it's really, really exciting. So I think it'd be really cool to follow up with this group, see how it goes. Um, Cause I'm sure they're going to be reporting back some really exciting um, successes and achievements. I, mean, I think one of the other pieces for us is that, you know, working on the social enterprise conversation for a number of years, well, the next cousin social enterprise is social procurement. I mean, how do we change the dialogue around how government thinks about the massive amounts of money that they spend? So I can tell you is that for the first time in the budget speech, social procurement and social enterprise was mentioned in the same sentence. That doesn't seem like much, but it's huge progress. The, the other cousin to social enterprise and social procurement is social finance. How do we think about, you know, the social investment? You're right. We still need that people like Home Depot and others to make the social investment so I can match it with revenue and then do a, do a massive amount of work uh, for uh, changing the, the lives of vulnerable youth and families. So uh, it, how social enterprise dovetails into those next iteration conversations, which are social procurement and social finance. That is awesome. And thanks for sharing that, uh, Sheldon. Again, social enterprise was not just, he's not looking for good enough. He's looking to the next thing, social procurement. And that's why he's done such impactful work is because he doesn't sit on his hands, always looking for, listen, homelessness still exists. And if it does, we got to keep pushing forward and coming up with different ideas and pushing government and others to respond. So thank you to this team. Thank you, staff. Another great episode. We will see you next week on On the Way Home. Absolutely. See you then. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.